You are listening to Natural Born Alchemist. Welcome to episode number 197 of the Natural Born Alchemist podcast. My name is Alex and I'll be your host. My guest in this episode is Steve Troy. Steve is an applied quantum philosopher, a licensed professional counselor and chief visionary officer for Quantum Revolution Inc. He assists people in exploring their infinite possibilities as they improve their lives through a variety of mind, body and spirit techniques. I came across Steve on YouTube where he has some very good lectures on a wide array of topics and I suggest you go check that out. But before you do that, let's talk to Steve. So thanks for being on the podcast. Sure, it's great to be here. So can you tell the listeners a bit about who you are and, and what you do? Yeah, I'm a, a licensed professional counselor in, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And uh, for 15 or 20 years, I was a sports writer. And I was always intrigued about the nature of reality. And I was in the wrong profession. And so I found myself switching into uh, mental health counseling. And I ended up working with addiction a lot. So I got out of the, the sports writing field over into a, a addiction and mental health. While I was still fascinated with the nature of reality, I used my writing skills to develop a, a, a treatment, and that's where the book came from, a, a way to approach mental health and addiction by looking at reality correctly. And what I found out over the last 10 years or so that um, I, I found a very effective way to help people wake up to the true nature of the reality and apply it to make their mental health better and to make their addiction issues go away. Now, in my worldview, the stuff you talk about is like mainstream. But when it comes to the mainstream mental health industry, are there any regulations that say like, oh, you can't really say these things because it's not really according to our plan? Uh, the, <laughs> yeah, well, there's people that might like to think that, but the nice thing about a license is you can do, as long as you're doing what's in the client's best interest, um, you can do whatever you need to do to try to help them out. So there aren't any regulations. What I'm finding is there's an awful lot of people who want this to be mainstream. And what I do, the quantum counseling that I do when I explore the nature of reality with people, a whole lot of people are craving it. I, I work with a lot of heroin addiction, which of course is a, a real bad problem uh, really worldwide. And a whole lot of people are finding out when they explore their inner sense of spirit, for example, and, and they come to some insights and revelations about the nature of reality, uh, they actually they feel the craving from within. And, and so it's really a modality that's pretty new, or at least around the parts that I live in. But uh, the people that are, that are most in need of it are the ones that are most eager to go through it. So you, when you use the word quantum, what, what do you mean? Is, and it's also quite complicated when people think about quantum mechanics and all that. Can you make it, simplify it a bit, what you mean? Okay. I, I specifically use it and I explain it to everybody. It's in, in chapter three in the book, uh, the equals MC squared chapters. I talk about the nature of reality from a scientific perspective and how everything is energy and you break down a physical body into its constituent parts and you get down to the level of molecules and you get to down to the level of atoms. And on the subatomic level, less than atoms is where you find quantum particles. And that's the Einstein-level science. So they, they, they studied the nature of the world from the quantum level. 
Well, when I introduce that to, to clients, for the most part, they're surprised to, to think of themselves as being energy beings. They haven't really thought of it that way before. But when, when you show them pictures, too, of like electron microscope images and things like that, and, and that they think of themselves as energy beings, they're already started to head in a little bit more of a healthy direction. So I first explain to them what the quantum idea is. And then we get to work using the quantum uh, methodology, which is using some of the laws of the physics and how these particles interact and some of the amazing discoveries that scientists have, um, have produced studying this, the, the physics that way. And then we apply it in mental health and addiction. And it works wonderfully well as a result because as Einstein figured out, that is the nature of the world. It works with these forces. And it's also interesting that they still don't really understand what a photon or light is. No, there, in fact, that's part of the neat part of this. In chapter 20 in the book, we talk about how I, the scientists are never really going to understand it. It's impossible. That's where the spiritual things come into play. It, just because people can't understand it doesn't make it not true, right? And so what I, what I encourage people who are interested to do is explore these themes for yourself. Try out entanglement, you know, try out the observer effect and superposition and these concepts in quantum physics and see if it can work in your life. And in an addiction in particular, when a lot of people believe that they can't change the course of their addiction and they actually work on hope and, and believing that they can do something, it starts to work. And so really the, the science just is an indication of what could be true, but it's the practical application of the themes that proves it to the individual that it is true. It, it's one of the ways that Buddha taught about how to learn truth. Try it out for yourself. Give it a test drive. And if you explore it and you find out that it works for you, that's how you know that it's true. So I don't think the scientists are ever going to be able to figure it out, which is fine by me. They got us close enough. Einstein has the wonderful concept of seeing a lion's tail coming out of a cave. And you don't see what's inside the cave, but you can assume that there's a lion in there. But nature only shows us the tail. It's too big to figure everything out, and we're not going to. But that doesn't mean we can't practically apply it. So if somebody is listening that's addicted, doesn't have to be so extreme as heroin, but any addiction, what would you say they could do themselves to figure out if they can get rid of it in some way? Well, first it starts with visualization and, and imagining the world the way you want it to be for yourself. And, and you have to believe that that's possible. That's where Jesus says faith the size of a mustard seed can move a mountain, right? Well, according to quantum physics, there's an infinite number of possibilities that could happen to anybody. And we focus only on a narrow range of them. And as a result, we only experience the narrow range. But if we can get ourselves to explore infinite possibilities, we'll look at the world differently, and then we increase the likelihood of those possibilities. What quantum physics is really about, as much as anything, is the science of possibility. And there are, you know, Einstein, was he really hated the idea that the world wasn't all cause and effect. There's a lot of probability involved. And when people start to shift their focus towards other truths, a lot of spiritual truths for sure, they, their reality starts to shift. And so I ask people to not believe what society has told you about the nature of reality. I mean, that's how the book starts with, you know, if, if we just listened to everybody else, we'd still believe that uh, we're revolving or that the sun is revolving on the earth and that the world is flat. We would believe some of these things. Uh, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't understand how germs work, for example. Because uh, people didn't believe in invisible little monsters that made people sick, you know. Uh, science has, has taken us uh, to a certain degree, only so far, and then we have to apply the rest of it ourselves. Good, for, for, for good reason, we learn how to change the way we see the world, 
and then the world around us actually changes. That's the way that the world is set up. So you are working mainly in the United States, which I know, having been there many times, it's mainly Christian. Does it confuse people when you like bring up Rumi, Buddha, and all these other ones, and Jesus? Like, Does it confuse people? It does some people, but what I've learned in the last 15 years is to let the people come to me. I don't force it on anybody, and that's in all the all the prophets teach the same thing. Uh, to not force it on anybody, that's ineffective. But there's a hunger for it. In fact, I think there's an obvious worldwide hunger for it, the desire to unite instead of to argue about this. And, and the fact is, with a, with a certain through a certain lens, if you look at the teachings through a certain lens, you can see the unity in all of the teachings. And so there's a there's a large amount of people that are eager, but I don't go to the people that that don't want to hear it and, and try to preach to them because they don't want to hear it anyways. Uh, there's an awful lot of people who don't know about it at all, and they haven't even considered it. I just had a gentleman in my office today talking about, yeah, I never really thought of the fact that I got conditioned to think of the world through just the Christian point of view. And so I just challenge them, you know, if you were born in, in Iraq or, or India, you know, might you be more uh, of a Muslim orientation or a Hindu? And he's like, yeah, I guess that would be the case. And so a lot of people aren't challenged to think differently. And it's one of the blessings of being a, a mental health professional is that's one of my jobs. I challenge them to think differently. And and when done effectively, of course, they, they, they can understand. Sure enough, there's different points of view. Then they start to feel better. See, that's the trick. Uh, another Buddha thing would be the thing about truth is it feels good. You know, it, insights feel good. And people want more of that. Um, the fact is insights, uh, just uh, pr practicing spirituality in general is a bit of a drug in and of itself. And if people get good at it, they start to say, hey, this works. I want more of that. And that's really where the book came from because it's, it's really all-inclusive like that. Because it seems to me that most people treat religions as like rooting for different football teams where they hate the other team. And um, uh, I, uh, when I was young, I uh, went, I started with my hate all religions kind of attitude, uh, you know, p uh, bad religion, punk rock, atheism, all that stuff. But as I rediscovered everything with age, uh, I, I realized that what I actually hated wasn't really the sacred text or the prophets or any of those people. It was the, the, the snake oil salesmen that were using those religions to their own ends. It was those people, you know. <laughs> wow, you just, yeah, you totally nailed it. That's my experience too. Uh, the fact is those snake oil salesmen are looking at the world from an ego point of view and therefore they weren't being very, they weren't being spiritual in the first place. And all the deepest teachings eventually go, hey, we have to get beyond this illusion of a physical world into the actual spiritual world, which is actual reality. And and all the prophets point in that direction, and they teach in somewhat complicated ways sometimes, uh, because it's a riddle, right? We have to think our way sometimes into that experience and then authentically feel it in our hearts. But when it's just presented conventionally, straight up, like uh, like it's fact and it's physical, that's where religions fight all the time. Because now we're going to argue, you said it perfectly, I've used that analogy as well. We're going to argue over whose profit's better. That's the same thing as saying my team is better than your team. And, and most of the team we pick is based upon where we were born. For the most part, that's the way it goes. You, to to, to want to see it differently is to actually want or have the desire to unify. I mean, you actually have to want to think about the other person's point of view and see whether or not it's legitimate. 
And a whole lot of people don't do that, of course. They want to just pick their team and then they just root for the team. One thing I noticed in my life that I find is the most addictive thing is uh, is hate in some form or anger. But it's very addictive. It's easier to hate than to love. Um, and I, I remember I was listening not long ago to this interview with Ramdas because now in America there's a lot of hate for Donald Trump. But Ramdas has this shrine where he's put a picture of Donald Trump. So he... he blesses him every day just to for for the sake of you know like you don't separate uh, who you care for it shouldn't shouldn't matter if it's donald trump or somebody else you know yeah absolutely right it, we, we all worldwide have the same single common enemy which is the human ego the 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 desire if you will to be separate from others And that is an enemy we have to learn how to love eventually. <laughs> and so the whole thing is very unifying when you recognize, I actually have the same struggles in my life as you do or as anyone else in the world does, but the struggle is the ego within me. And it's truly where all the teachings are too. The actual war, like the Bhagavad Gita, is all about the war inside your head between you and you. Uh, that's the whole idea uh, of the war that you got to win is inside yourself. The The, the jihad ultimately is a war that's going on inside of oneself. And the enemy, the infidel, is the ego as well. And it's the it's the war that we have to win in order to unify. All of us are fighting this battle whether we know it or not. And once the person embraces that, they know they now know where to look for the enemy, which is, you know, inside themselves. You know, when you like when you get really angry and you like get this feeling of hate, you feel really powerful. It's uh It's very similar to those Star Wars movies where you like you actually feel more powerful the more hate you use. But when you use love, uh, you might feel weaker. But what you notice is over time you're actually way stronger. But it's not like in the moment, in the beginning, it doesn't feel like strong. It feels like the weak, weak path. <laughs> no, absolutely true. Well, that's because the, again, the way the brain works. Uh, the hate feelings like you described, dopamine is released. And dopamine is a energy, uh, it's a strong feeling. Uh, people get addicted to it very easily. But it's also short term, because that's what cocaine does in the brain. It increases the dopamine available to you. And so you feel stronger temporarily, but then it disappoints you. And that's why hate burns people out. It doesn't work. Love, however, is a separate type of energy. You could also get addicted to it, which is, of course, fine. But the type of love that we're talking about, spiritual love, is all-encompassing, all-embracing, very unifying, and you can have a nice, slow, steady drip of that for the rest of your life, and you do stay with it. Well, uh, recently in my groups, we've been going through the Tao Te Ching, and it, and it emphasizes how water is stronger than rock, right? Given enough time, water will always wear away rock, but that's because water is soft and flexible, and it's relentless, and it'll just keep coming at you, and ultimately, that softness is the ultimate strength. That, that, there's ultimately Jesus on the cross. Uh, he was submitting, And yet <laughs> he was showing a lot of strength in that moment when he was being killed. Uh, the, the word Islam means to submit. It's the same thing. A Muslim is one who has submitted. So the whole thing is submitting to that spiritual self within. It's the ego that has to get out of the way. And that takes great strength to sacrifice that ego. But that's really what a crucifixion is, to let that thing inside us die or at least get tamed. In an ayahuasca ceremony I did many years ago in Peru, I was experiencing the infinite uh, darkness like symbolized as some sort of like evil or hate or anger, that kind of emotion, like infinite 
all powerful, you know, and I was like almost afraid that, oh, oh my God, this is like impossible to resist. But then like in the in this vision, a match was lit, like a tiny match, and that light just uh, parted the the darkness, and I realized that like like only like a speck of good is stronger than all the darkness in the whole universe, you know, because that light is, you know, just uh, lit up the whole vision, you know? Yep, no, that's perfect. Um, it's obviously very logical when it comes to turning on a light in a room. It makes the darkness go away immediately. The, the compelling nature of the darkness does suck people in, and we all get sucked in until you realize the simplicity of adding the light. Uh, the, the, there's a Bible line that perfect love casts out all fear. Love eventually is going to win. It's it's a thousand times stronger for many different reasons. Uh, Krishna, I believe, describes lucidity or the type of spiritual love that he taught thousand times more powerful than any other force that you could imagine. It, it's why we're all eventually going to get there, because we, it's the only drug going, really, finding that spirit light within. And, and we're going to keep seeking until we find that. And some people, when they get there, you know, <laughs> they, uh, they want to strengthen it in themselves and, and then help others learn it. But the way you just described that experience it is perfect. It is so much more powerful to go in that direction. Uh, that's why Jesus says his way is the easiest way. It is a lot easier to, to choose love than over fear and hate. But it's difficult these days in the modern society because there's so much stuff going on and and depending on what job you have, it's very difficult to stay on this spiritual pilgrim path. I mean, you know, you try if you're trying to be some sort of love guru, but one part of your job is to fire people. I mean, like, it's difficult to merge the two. Nope, just talking to a gentleman the other day about firing people about that. And, and, and here's the trick. We have to see each other as spiritual beings, not physical. If we feel bad for each other, that's like saying the universe doesn't know what it's doing, or God, you know, either way, universe or God, doesn't understand what it's doing with us. And the fact is it does. The universe knows what it's doing. And, and nobody in the world is going through adversity that doesn't have some sort of meaning attached to it. And so if you just enable people in the flesh, they're not going to grow and learn, and nor will you. But if you can trust that when you're doing something that otherwise looks pretty harsh, I mean, I could cite you plenty of prophet teachings on that too. They were aggressive when they needed to be because you need to help people wake up to the nature of reality. And if they're asleep in the physical world and we don't rattle the cages occasionally, they're going to stay asleep. And so you can lovingly, lovingly rattle somebody's cage, right? And that could include firing them. Sometimes in relationships, we have to leave people and, and, and behind and and that looks like it's not love, but it can be if it helps them wake up. And there's the trick to have the intention, the pure spirited intention of helping the other person grow spiritually. Uh, of course, in Miracles, the book says, in essence, that uh, we have a choice to be among the saviors of the world or to keep our brothers stuck in hell. And it doesn't do any good if all I do is help people physically. I have to help them spiritually. Now, the ideal is to do both. But the more important quality is to help people spiritually. So how did you learn all, the, all these things? Did you start like growing up uh, reading the Bible or w what route did you take? I was raised Christian. Uh, my parents um, took me through the, 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 the church process in general. And then I found myself working in this field where a whole lot of people came to me and said things like, I actually had people say to me, as long as you never mention Jesus to me, we'll be good. <laughs> and then I found myself working with Hindus and working with Buddhists and working with Muslims and atheists and all sorts of people. And I realized I was going to be very ineffective as a therapist 
if I if I limited my spiritual my sense of spirituality to just narrow Christianity. And it's it's enough if somebody wants to explore it, but some people aren't that's not the language they speak. And so the very first thing that hit me was about 13 years ago or so, a gentleman said to me that uh, that he had a friend that helped that got himself off of heroin by practicing Buddhism. And I remember thinking, my job is to help this person stop using heroin. Let's explore it together. He wanted to do it. So I read it with him, and I was shocked by how effective it was. <laughs> then I had another guy uh, bring in um, a movie called The Elegant Universe, a science movie, Brian Greene, talking about the nature of reality from a scientific perspective. And he loved it. He was like, this is great. He was very into it. So I started to explore that with him. Next thing I know, I have like 15 different people that are working on 15 different angles. And, and I realized I was being taught. It wasn't me so much going out there and helping them. They were all introducing all these things to me. And next thing I know, I'm studying Taoism. I'm reading the Quran. I'm going into Einstein um, physics, all of that, just so I could help them. But of course, in the process, I was being taught. And I just wanted to be a good counselor. That's it. I just wanted to help people out. Next thing I know, I was being helped tremendously. And I was able to see the spirit in everybody as a result. I discovered you watching your YouTube video on uh, the Tibetan Book of the Dead, which can be quite daunting to read. If But after watching your video, I discovered it's much easier to read. Oh, very good. That's good to hear. Yeah, that was my experience. Uh, it took me five times. I literally read it shortly after 9-11. And a couple people in my life died. And I remember uh, feeling, I didn't like that feeling of grief. And so I read it, had no clue what it meant. <laughs> and then you know, I put it away for a few years. But then I started working on some Buddhist concepts and some Hindu teachings and all of that. And I went back to it, still didn't make sense. <laughs> and then after a, a period of about eight to 10 years or so, when I had a bunch of my clients tell me I needed to write a book to put all this together, I revisited it. And then it started to click. And I'm like, oh, I get it. First of all, it's mostly a metaphor. <laughs> Most of the teachings are an inner world teaching again. And instead of taking it too literally, I took it more energetically and spiritually. And then it started to make sense for reasons that, you know, anybody that gets it, you're like, oh, I understand. And now it starts to speak to your heart a little bit better. And then it just started to clear things up. I mean, it ends up being about this world and the next world. And uh, I've used it with, with in sessions, especially for people who've had loved ones die. And it's very therapeutic for them as well. Of all the sacred texts out there, the only one I really don't feel a vibe with that I really have a hard time to connect with is is the Torah or like the Old the Old Testament. It, it's It's the one that seems most dead of spirit for some reason. It's, it's interesting. I, I understand what you're saying. Uh, it's an old text, but pretty much anything in the world, if read spiritually, can come to life for you. This is why the Kabbalah dig into the Torah and, you know, explain it differently, like the Zohar, you know, which explains some of what those teachings are really about. It's still very complicated, though. I mean, no doubt. There's many different texts I'll struggle with. It, but some people, it works for them. So, you know, I what I've come to understand is that, like, Buddha's teaching, especially on Uh, Kalama Sutta, you know, that everybody has their own pathway. The fact is, it works for some people. Now, I, I respect it as a result because I know it works for some people. Some texts uh, are, are very heady that way. Other things, like, uh, in my opinion, the Bhagavad Gita is just a long poem. It's beautiful, and you got and the, the Tao Te Ching is similar. Reading the Bible and the Quran are a lot more um, intellectual for me. 
And they, of course, speak to people in different ways. And so there's a plenty of different things out there that work for people that I don't fully grasp either. But I just know that there's truth in it somewhere. I really like the spiritual teachings of all indigenous cultures. The problem with them is that nothing's written down. So it's all like secondhand source. Yes. And, and I found that, that that was a challenge for me in writing the book is that I ended up going through the world's quote unquote main or most popular religions, so to speak. But those indigenous cultures very much intrigue me, but it's so much more difficult to, to access. And in a sense, it's not as mainstream. I ended up not including it. I mentioned it a few times in the book. But there's so many practices that are very effective for people. But like you said, there's really no book to go to. So is it mainly people who are addicted to heroin or can it be anything you help them with? Oh, at this point, I, I learned pretty quickly that, that, that heroin is just a symptom and drugs are just a symptom. Everybody in the world is addicted to the ego. We all have the same addiction. It's just different degrees and it manifests differently. And so each one of us has to learn how to let go of our hold of the darkness because that's what happens to us. You know, we come into this, this, this dimension and we fall asleep and we find ourselves swept up in the darkness and we're all hooked on that one way or another. And then it manifests differently. Some people get hooked on drugs, others on hate. Some become obsessed with politics or sports, you know, so many different things. But we all eventually have a collective awakening experience, right? And so it works for everybody. Uh, it, it, that's what that's the, what's so great about truth. It, it's like gravity; it applies all the time to everybody, always. And, and, and so it's a it, it's a um, one size fits all. It doesn't matter what the issue is. If you work on spiritual development, whatever your issue is, will be diminished. What do you find is the hardest thing to make people realize that it's the ego? they're addicted to and not the drug or wow the hardest thing to help them realize that well i mean my experience is the pain that they go through is ultimately going to be the best teacher and if somebody's not going through pain or suffering if they're not going through it then they're going to be almost impossible to teach this is why you're going to find on the on the american political spectrum of things i pretty much stay out of it because people are so entrenched in their points of view like you said with the the hating back and forth gets us absolutely nowhere right you're not going to out hate the other guy that's ineffective there has to be another way and of course there is well people don't want to give up their point of view they're so addicted to the ego they're blocked so they're not they're not even really willing to go there and that's easily the hardest thing because they're ultimately not interested but once they develop the interest you have to show them contrast. You have to actually get them therapeutically to try certain things. It's once again, I, I, I uh, have people practicing Buddhist techniques all the time. Metta prayer, you just said it with Ram Das too. Actually praying for your enemy, being willing to do that inside your heart, even, you don't have to go give them a hug, but to wish another person well inside their heart, that's really hard for some people to do, even in, in a therapeutic setting where the person isn't around. And if they're willing to try it, it's hard, But, you know, once they break that conditioning, they start to realize that it's wor it works and it's really the only effective way to do it. But if people aren't interested, you just stay away from them. That's why Jesus says, don't cast pearls before swine. Uh, Krishna says, don't even speak to anybody about this if they're not interested. Uh, Muhammad says, do not uh, force religion on other people because truth stands out clear from error. I mean, all of them say it one way or another. Don't force it on somebody if they're not interested. It's like a seed that hasn't grown yet. You don't shout it into growing. It's just going to grow, develop in its own, uh, develop in its own time, and so I always talk to people such as you who are interested in these things, and if they come and say, "I'd like to talk about this," great, let's work on it. But I sure as heck don't need to go force a book in anybody else's face. It's a bit similar with jealousy because that's also a big problem in the world. People are jealous, but one thing I've learned in my life that 
because I might have had jealous tendencies when I was younger, was that you quickly realize after a while that whoever you're jealous of in their life, they have problems and they're jealous of somebody else and they're not, I mean, it might look look nice to be in their shoes, but when you're actually in their shoes, it wasn't that good. Oh, you, you, you got it completely. See, once again, we are totally ultimately facing the same battles. We all have to, to uh, tame or kill the ego within. And what I learned in working with addiction so much is, is I've heard people's backstories and, and somebody who might be walking out in public and, and seemingly are happy people, when you close the door and you get to know them, they break down in tears, they're upset about something. You know, we're in a Facebook culture where people are faking half the time, if not more, that their lives are better than they actually are. But uh, I think it's Whitman that said most men lead lives of quiet desperation. Uh, most people are struggling with something. And, uh, and, and that way you can just trust ultimately that, again, the universe is fair. All of us are on a journey of self-discovery. And, and some people seemingly have it worse than others. And some people seemingly have it better than others. But the only real quality that matters that is lasting peace is that awakening quality. It's why all the prophets went through some version of suffering one way or another which promoted their growth. And they did that, Jesus in particular with the cross, is to, is to say, listen, as bad as you have it, you have a chance to grow spiritually as a result. Now, when I see people who otherwise have it good in our culture, and again, you can think, you know, whatever politician you might want to think of that seemingly has it good because they have a lot of money, that doesn't mean they're awake at all. And, and yeah, they've got a long journey ahead of them. All of us are climbing uh, Enlightenment Mountain, whether we know it or not. And, and some people are, at, uh, are firmly at the base of the, of the mountain. Um, but others that start to climb, things can happen to them, and it looks like it's a struggle, but ultimately you have to trust. Again, the universe knows what it's doing. One epiphany I recently had regarding Buddhism is this famous prayer where they say, uh, you know, I take refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha, and, and it goes, may, may I attain enlightenment for the sake of all sentient beings. And I, I never really thought about it that much until recently where I realized what it actually is saying is that it's actually not, because you all always talk about people wanting to be enlightened but actually what it is is you are attaining enlightenment for for somebody else not for you it's a complete non-ego <laughs> yeah now that's beautiful yeah it's in the book of the dead as well yeah the whole idea is because we're collective and, and the ultimate trick the kabbalah teaches this as well is if i want it for you every bit as much as for me or even more that's what brings it to you. And there's the, that's the trick, again, loving the enemy. But it's collective. I, I've come to think of it again as like, you know, uh, Humpty Dumpty falling off the wall and breaking into a bunch of pieces and we have to put it back together again. The, the fact is we are a collective soul you know, worldwide, whether we know it or not. And I want everybody in the world to, to awaken together. And, and the more I think of it that way, that I, I'm passionate about somebody else awakening, now I have a, a love your enemy quality that, that increases the likelihood of me doing it and them at the same time. It's why Jesus says, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then do unto others as you have them do unto you. It's a teamwork thing. But I mean, even in Jesus' day, if we assume he was a physical person, uh, his teachings were was controversial. But still, it's weird that even though we live in a Christian world in the West, his teachings are actually really controversial still. Uh, Especially if you you live in the United States, which which is a really huge Christian country, and they always speak about uh, God bless America, and it's all Christian. But 
there's no really nobody in politics or government or anybody is following the teachings you know <laughs> oh no that's because they they don't understand the teachings they still see the world's physical there's a there's a line john 663 the flesh counts for nothing and the spirit gives life and yet people look at it physically all the time and, and they don't think of themselves as as spiritual beings having a physical experience they think of themselves as physical beings who occasionally get around to spirituality and and i wrote it towards the end of the book the idea of one day maybe somebody will run on a unity conscious ticket or something it's what the prophets were trying to teach we are all one right uh, and the fact is, no, in American politics, you're never going to get anywhere with that. Could you imagine trying to suggest, hey, let's listen to the other side? You know, they might have a good point, too. That's never going to get anybody elected. And so it's almost like I, I wrote an article once about how you know, would Jesus be a Republican or Democrat? And the fact is, he would say to heck with politics. He wouldn't want to have anything to do with it because politics are focused on the affairs of man. And, and what a spiritual person's doing is focusing on the spiritual development of people. Now, they can go hand in hand as long as you're aware of it. You know, you practice compassion with human beings. That helps your spiritual development. You know, you practice forgiveness. So you practice patience and all that stuff. But um, most people, especially my experience over here, most people are seeing the physical world physically. They think death is real. They don't recognize the illusion. They don't realize that uh, there's a eternal spiritual nature about all of ourselves. And so they're obsessed with the current temporary physical world. You know, as Buddha would teach, it's temporary, which means it's not real. And as Buddha says, once you understand that it's not real, you can escape suffering. Well, apparently over here in this country, at least we need to suffer a little bit more <laughs> because we're, we're, we're not recognizing the illusion. Nobody talks about it. I keep saying it should lead the evening news. I mean, almost every day there's another article somewhere on the Internet uh, about the world being a simulation. There's a there's an illusion quality. And and uh, but it doesn't seem to capture pe people's interest. We're way more interested in arguing about politics. I always said that because you can never really know for sure. But if I discover when I die that nothing happens and it's, you ju everything just goes black, you know, it doesn't really matter because... I won't be there, but if I believe that everything goes black and it doesn't, then I think that would be worse. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, that's awesome. It's exact same thinking I've used. I call it the win-win scenario um, because worst case scenario, maybe I'm wrong about all this stuff. I get to the other side, turns out there's nothing and there will be absolutely no one there to pick on me, <laughs> right? Nobody could say I was wrong. It is what it is. But if I'm right... You know, and if all the spiritual teachings are right and there is something on the other side, then you're going to be happy that you played along with the game while you're here. Now, of course, I say that jokingly, but it's the same thing that you just said. To me, once again, it proves the logic of working on it that way. Uh, the fact is, there, if there is something going on the other side, I, I think of it like, a, like a, a camper in the woods. If you don't know how to navigate your, around, uh, your way around the woods, you're going to be lost. Well... If there's something on the other side and we die and we did not spend any time working on it over here, then um, we're going to be sad that we that we did. I, I've, we didn't. I've seen uh, several different teachings and so many different texts talking about this. And this is the point of the physical life. We are actually here to develop our awareness of the spiritual life. Uh, I've come to consider it going to the gym to work out. A, a spiritual being comes to this planet to work on their spiritual muscles. And what we find, just like at a gym, when you lift weights, it's resistance, which makes your muscles bigger. Well, the ego provides resistance for, for spiritual development. And it's the very thing that makes us stronger spiritually. And we're down here to experience that resistance. And when, when, when death comes and, and we leave this place, it's just like walking out of a gymnasium. 
you know, Rumi, this place is just a dream. Only those who are asleep think it's real. Death comes in the dawn and you awaken laughing at your grief. Once you realize that the world isn't what you think it is, it's a game changer, of course. And that's really what we need to get as a, as a society. Cool. So if people want to, to get your book and uh, read it, where can they do that? And uh, do you have a website? Uh, well, we're, our, our company's name is Quantum Revolution uh, Counseling. And so we do mental health counseling and addiction treatment. And uh, we started the books uh, to specifically try to spread the word that there's a new way of approaching both mental health and addiction. And so we have the YouTube channel. Uh, if you just Googled Quantum Revolution or go into YouTube and looked up Quantum Revolution Counseling, we've got about 40 videos up there now. I talk about the addiction aspect there, but also several of the topics that we just discussed. And on Amazon, both books are available. We have the addiction book, which is called Hope is Dope. Um, it's mostly just to focused on, on addiction stuff. But then uh, New Eyes is available on Amazon as well. And so just go to, New, uh, go to Amazon and search on New Eyes, Steve Troy, the last name is T-R-E-U. If you look that up, that's how you would get the book. Cool. Thanks a lot for taking the time to talk to me. All right, Alex, I appreciate it a lot. Thanks for the work you do too. Go to quantumrevolution.org to check out Steve's book, New Eyes. You can also find it on Amazon. Now, one way to support this podcast is to sign up over at patreon.com forward slash naturalbornalchemist. And for a couple of bucks a month, you'll get access to these episodes in advance, as well as access to a lot of additional material that I've produced over there. And also things I produced for the podcast, but that got deleted or, you know, censored or for some reason didn't make it on air, so to speak. I will also release a very special thing in a couple of episodes when episode 200 comes out. Something I hope you would want to get for yourself. And that is another way to support the podcast. More on that in episode 200. Another thing you can do is rate and review this podcast on iTunes and I really like the reviews I have had so far and it helps a lot as well as share and spread the podcast in social media Whew. so that's all the promotional stuff um, now a good friend of mine recently released a new track under a new name the artist formerly known as Yun Huzami is Rhythm of Light and the track is called Living Matrix. Go to rhythmoflightmusic.bandcamp.com if you want to check it out some more. We'll talk in a week. Take care. Freedom is in the mind. There's a world that awaits you inside of your eyelids The doors and the gates open wide when the mind is in silence Spirit fire ignited, aligned in the heart and the mind light is invited Oh, the body flies when your soul is the pilot When life is inspired, you fly to your highest Rewired desires, these scientific ways release the soul fire I feel the whole reunited as life broadens Subscribe to the highest order with no limitation kind of borders when you endorse the divine light inside of all things Om. and now the whole thing is pulsing convulsing indulging this great unfolding resulting light golden engulfing bear witness a great shift is evolving all that you can decipher with the eyes of the mind when aligned in the designs of the living matrix the rhythm of light infinitely precise is what guides us in kindness we strive to be in oneness we're given this life with limited time to refine it with the science of the living matrix the flower of life 
minds that are timeless inside us remind us we are light Respecting our samas, protective arcanas Igniting the spark with corona mandalas To hold space while you grow through your trauma Flow through your karma, won't go through my armor No snake charma, fake dharma No longer sit with these tricks in the parlor I much rather illuminate where the darkness is harbored Create space to awake light that is harnessed now Hakun Shama We reside in the heart when the times are the hardest As we embark on this hard-carved path of the artists Co-creator beings on the path of the masters That learn to decipher with the eyes of the mind When aligned in the designs of the living matrix The rhythm of light, infinitely precise Is what guides us in kindness We strive to be in oneness We're given this life with limited time To refine it with the science of the living matrix The flower of life and power designs that are timeless inside us remind us we are light a limitless force born of the source and of course we're all connected in this living matrix committed to all united we stand to enhance what we are to advance in this plan as we stand on the earth and Beneath the surface of earth there are layers pre-Jurassic The further you search and you scratch it, it becomes Akashic Mysteries of Atlantis contained in the plants and the seas and the granite Oh the stories of the planets degrees that are planned at galactic scales mathematic matter and pattern dynamics motherly fatherly quantum mechanics oh this divine innovation light invocation aligning our signs and relations opening doors to awaken to this open source code of endless creation where you can find liberation and quiet the mind in divine inspiration Connected to endless vibration The purest of light when it's shown It will guide you home So you can decipher with the eyes of the mind When aligned in the designs of the living matrix The rhythm of light, infinitely precise Is what guides us in kindness We strive to be in oneness We're given this life with limited time To refine it with the science of the living matrix The flower of life and power designs That are timeless inside us Remind us we are light A limitless force Born of the source and of course we're all connected in this living matrix Committed to all, united we stand to enhance what we are To advance in this plan We stand on the earth and the earth and evolve We search in the soul and the search the goal To refine the one who defines Matu sarangda piko tida buai ilumina niwe bo kano mai bawa bencong bencong bau tibi asung bano suawa mai nida bawa bang uro wong sa shamagi 
Oh, yeah, yeah.